relevant until someone says them. And, and, and maybe I'll have to prove it too, but once I prove it, it'll be self-evident, if that makes sense. Justice is something we are all born with a desire for. We all uh, are, we have this innate desire for justice. We want things to be just. And, and my proof of that is, are these words, it's not fair. How old is a child before he starts using those words? <laughs> it's not fair. Usually meaning, it's not fair to me, because if he's not being fair to the other one, that's okay. But, but when he says, it's not fair, he's calling for fairness, which is what justice is, is fairness, things being done rightly in, in, on that moral realm, uh, seeking for fairness. But when he says, it's not fair, he's also holding up that fair is a recognized standard that we all understand. He doesn't realize he's doing that, but he's saying, we have this desire for fairness. We have Fairness is its own authority. When he says it's not fair, he doesn't have to say, Mom, and now here's what fairness is. Uh, you don't have to sit down and teach your son. Now, this is what fairness is. Or your daughter, this is what fairness is. It's, it's this universal sense of things being equal and even and treated rightly. That's what justice is. Justice is that desire for things to be Fair. When we look at this passage in Revelation 6, it's the fifth seal. And it's really interesting if you think in terms of these seals, and when the seal is opened, something happens. When this seal is open, open nothing really happens. Except God saying, just wait, it will happen. Right? The, the, the fifth seal, Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 9, or chapter 6, starting at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? When they were, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So the, what happens on this, at the opening of this seal is God saying, just be patient, it will happen. But it's not happening now. That's what we find at this fifth seal. So we find this crying out for justice. And they cry out, How long, O Lord? The souls of martyrs cry out for justice. And this is a picture. It's a fair picture. It's a, a just picture. You know, we use the word justice in only, but also as in justice. And it's, it's just. And, and I've used this, uh, used this picture in, a pa- in the past uh, to, to, to talk about uh, how uh, an evidence that when we are, uh, die, we're, we're, we're alive. Uh, it's not really what it's doing because this is a picture. It is a picture in this passage of the vision. And remember, the vision in a vision, we're looking at the modern art of, of prophecy. It's not what the picture is. It's what the picture represents. And, and it's kind of fascinating to look at this because... This is a vision. The details are important because of what they present. But you want to see something interesting about this? Is, 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 uh, look at the scene around the throne in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And we've done this in great detail in other week, work, weeks. I'm just going to sum it up real quick. We see God on the throne. Right? God is on the throne. We eventually recognize he's holding a scroll in his right hand. There is a rainbow around the throne of emerald, uh, an emerald rainbow around it. We find four living creatures. We find the seven spirits of God. We find 24 elders on 24 thrones wearing 24 crowns, which they throw down before the throne room of God. We, we eventually get to where there are myriads of myriads of angels around the throne praising God. And then there is an innumerable multitude around the throne praising God. And you know what isn't there? 
an altar. <laughs> There's no altar. And then all of a sudden he says, and, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, as if there's been an altar there all the time. And this is one of those elements of a vision that's like a dream. And in a dream, all of a sudden, there's an altar there. It wasn't there before, but now it is, because now he's, he's giving an important lesson, and he uses the altar. And I don't think it's a physical picture of what's going on there, but it is representing something very important. Uh, it, it's, it's referred to as an altar as if, of course, it's there, but it's a picture that says a lot. He says, The souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne cried out from under the altar. Uh, where are these souls coming from? From under the altar. Well, what is the altar? It's the place of sacrifice. The altar is the place of sacrifice. And so these are martyrs, people who gave their lives for God. They sacrificed their lives. And he's making that point known. This is the altar where those who had, had given their lives for him had died. They, they, their blood was shed. Their lives were given on the altar. And they're crying out from under this altar, where is our justice? We died on this altar and we don't see justice being done. They're crying out, how long, O Lord? We sacrificed our lives for you. We gave our very lives. And as far as we can see it, nothing is being done because of it. There is no justice for us. And if there is anyone who deserves justice, uh, it is those who give their lives for Christ's sake. And they're calling out and saying, how long, O Lord? We don't see it. Right? Many of us really don't want to cry out for justice because we know what it means, because we've gotten away with enough that we know if all of a sudden I receive justice, that might not be pleasant. Right? Why did we come to Christ? Because we wanted to escape justice. Because <laughs> justice would mean serious bad news for us. So we came to him. That's why he died to pay for our sin. There's a very important uh, verse in Romans chapter 3 that says, so he can be just and the justifier of those who come to him, right? Why did Jesus die on the cross? To pay for our sins. That way, when God justifies us, he is fair in doing so because those sins have been punished. The price of those sins have been paid. If the price of our sins have been paid, God would not be just in forgiving us. He would not be fair. But because the price has been paid, it is fair for him to do that. He is just in doing it. That's why we come to him. That's how it works. But these are people who have died for their faith. And when they cry out for justice, it means something. And, and they're not seeing it. And, and, and you know, this, this idea of not seeing God accomplish justice, wondering, people wondering, God's people wondering, God, why are we not seeing justice, has been around for a long time. And I, and I have a few references here. I want to, I, and just a few, I could have gone to more. Uh, Psalm 94. It's funny, I was looking for one passage and found this, and I just thought, that'll do. I don't need to keep looking. The one I was looking for would maybe be better. I don't know, but this'll do. And, uh, you know, which just drives home my point that this is, is not an idle or an, uh, a, a, a rare thing in Scripture. Psalm 94, verses 1 through 7. Uh, I got my marker in Revelation so I can find it again. Okay? Psalm 94, 1 through 7. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. <laughs> wow, that's a scary prayer. Uh, 
Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? All those evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord. They afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, God, why aren't you doing something? Bad people are doing bad things and you're not stopping them. And the psalmist is saying, I don't get it, Lord. Where is your justice? Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk is, is classic for this. Uh, the, the, the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, his, and again, we could read more of Habakkuk than we're doing, but we'll just look at the first four verses of Habakkuk chapter 1. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, name Habakkuk. You can tell I've been working in Awana. <laughs> okay, uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Habakkuk has a little argument with God about his fairness. And we're just going to start it. If you want to read the whole thing, uh, you can read just chapters two and 1 and 2. There's three chapters in Habakkuk. The third one is where the one where Habakkuk basically says, Okay, God, I'll praise you. <laughs> but the first two chapters are him arguing with God about his justice. First four verses, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention rise. So the law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Right? And he's complaining to God. God, life is, things are, but life is not fair. Right? He says, says why, why do I see such evil going on? You're not doing anything about it, God. Why are you not doing it? It's, it's not a new idea. This is something that's been around. And I'm going to turn to one more passage, which we will kind of uh, hover around as we go through this message. 2 Peter chapter 3. Very shortly before Revelation. Second Peter, Second Peter, Peter in Second Peter is talking about uh, God's justice coming and the destruction of the earth that's coming. But first, let's read verses three and four of Second Peter chapter three. Ah, it didn't look right. I was in First Peter. First Peter does not get the idea across. Second Peter chapter three, verses three and four. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, what will they say? Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And people say, you know, God isn't doing anything. Why should we care? Why should I fear God when he doesn't do anything? Why should I fear judgment if God doesn't judge? Why should I fear punishment if God doesn't punish? And I haven't seen him doing it. Says that's what scoffers are going to come in and say. And this is what we find, this idea of where is God's judgment? Where is his justice? And saints don't see justice and they wonder why God isn't doing anything. And sinners don't see justice and they think they never will. And you go, God, why are you doing this that way? Why do you allow this? Why aren't you doing something? And the souls of martyrs are crying out from under the altar saying, God, the altar of their sacrifice, saying, God, how long? How long, O Lord? And the answer is because God is merciful. Because we see this in Revelation. He says, Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And God says, it's not time yet. 
it's not time yet. Be patient a little longer. God answers in, in the psalm we read. He answers in Habakkuk. But I'm going to turn back to Peter to see the explanation uh, he gives. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. It seems like it's slow, it seems like he's not acting, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should receive repentance. How is it that we who have received God's mercy turn around and ask for judgment? Have you, have you ever thought about what hypocrites we are? Dear God, thank you for sparing this sinner. Now, would you please judge that one? Because <laughs> that one really bothers me. <laughs> that one is offending me, God. Are, are you not grateful that God waited patiently for you? You know, some of us, some of us, not, when I say some of us, meaning some in this body, not meaning me, grew up in the church, and all we know, all we can remember of our lives is knowing Christ and growing up with that. But some of us uh, don't have that experience. And I'm so grateful that God waited patiently. I mean, you know, we, we talk about, I think, I think most people, by the time we're adults, we have period, experiences that we look back at, and we say, boy, I could have died. Or maybe we use the word, I should have died. Or maybe you go so far as to say, I don't know how I didn't die. Any of you have those experiences before you came to Christ? Yeah, I thought about my life. You know, the, I, I was thinking about this. You know, I have not had a serious injury since I moved to Davenport. <laughs> I'm going, wow, I've gotten a few stitches here and there, you know, cuts, bruises, and things like that. But, but before I moved to Davenport, Davenport's a great place to live because you don't break bones, or at least I don't. But, you know, when I was, when I was nine years old, maybe eight, I don't know, it was between second and third grade, uh, I was riding, I, we took my aunt's bicycle to the top of the sledding hill at Underhill Sledding Hill in Spokane. I, did, I couldn't even ride a bike, but I figured, this is downhill, it's easy. <laughs> and I ended up doing this, boom, 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 sideways, and broke my collarbone. You know, I could have broken my neck. Isn't that what your mom says? You could have broken your neck? I mean, just as easily as breaking a collarbone at something like that. When I was 10 years old, I found out what happens when you ride a bicycle into the side of a moving car. <laughs> Broke my leg in three places. Could have smacked my head on the curb. Would have been really, I mean, that, that, I remember that thing. It, I had tire tracks on my car, I mean, on my leg. It, it threw me down on the ground. How did I not crack my head? Right? Why did I not die? When I was 15, what's that? Ask me, yeah, oh, Lord. <laughs> When I was 15, I was riding my bicycle down the south hill of Spokane. I've, now I've told this story. And, and uh, my friend was riding on the back of my 10-speed. You know, the 10-speeds are not built for riding double on, but we were. And, and I'm leaning in front, and we're just sailing down that hill. You can move. A lady made a left-hand turn coming up the hill. We plowed into her. I dented her bumper with my head. This is back in the days when bumpers were bumpers. <laughs> right? Woke up in the hospital. Why did I not die? Why did I not die? In each and every, and those are just, oh, and then when I was 18. <laughs> that's when I was in a single car wreck, went off the road, broke my femur, broke, cracked two vertebrae, was, in, was laid up for three months. Why did, I not, why did I not die any of these times? 
And you go, well, you know, we don't always die. And that's reality. We don't always die. But do you know I could have died any one of those times? Maybe should have died any one of those times? I'm saying this. I'm talking about my experience, but I know we all have these experiences. If we were to line up and share, we could each share our experiences where I could have died. And, and what happened? God was patient with me. Because had I died on any one of those occasions, I would have gone straight to hell. And deserved it. Especially as I got older. <laughs> I would have deserved it. But God was patient with me. He's protecting me, keeping me until such time that I might repent. Not because I deserve it, but out of His love and His mercy, He did that for me. He's done that for you. I mean, I was, I was not saved. I was not only not saved. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like barely not saved. I was really not saved. You know, if you, if you know what I mean, I was actively sinning. I was pers- opposing God. I was pursuing my own will. Had I died, I would have deserved what I got, but God was patient with me. How can I be thankful God was so patient with me and then want him to enter into judgment on others? And yet, wretched hypocrite that I am, I find myself doing that. Jesus paid the price of, of our sin so God could show mercy and still be just. And he paid a high price for that ability to show mercy. And, and we who have received mercy can be patient as he works this out for others. But there's, that, that's, there's more to this Revelation chapter 6, verse uh, 11. They were, told, they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who should be, should be complete, who are to be killed as they themselves had been. And, and there is an end point to this time of mercy. There is a point where, God's, where God will say, no more. There is a time where God will be the God of justice. He created man in his own image. And one of those things that he created, the image that he created us in, is this desire for justice that we're all ha- we all have. Even, even when we're sinners, somehow we, we, we crave justice and we'll say that's not fair. And <laughs> we're, we're so funny. But the day of judgment will come, and that's what escapes us. If we think that we don't see it now, it won't happen. I mean, we, we, think, you know, we, we think because I don't see it happening now, therefore God isn't doing anything. Or therefore he never will. Sinners see it that way, right? We read that in 2 Peter. Therefore, they look and they say, where is the promise of his coming? You know, where is it? We, We don't see it. Therefore, we don't think it will. This is such a description of our world today. For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by the means of these these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And, 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 and we're talking about creation and the flood there. And our world so actively works to argue against the belief in God's creation and Noah's flood. Because if, if I mean, I shouldn't say because, but I will throw out that be, what, what it accomplishes, is it removes them from the threat of if God didn't create the world, then he won't destroy it. If he didn't destroy it once with the flood, then he won't destroy it again with fire. Because those things didn't really happen, but they did. And our world hides that knowledge and does everything it can to push it away and hide it and, and, and to keep people in churches from proclaiming it. But it is simply God's truth that's out there. That's why the world works so hard to deny creation and the flood, to, to escape his judgment. As if he hasn't, if I, if I can convince myself he hasn't judged before, then I can rest, rest confident that he, he won't judge again. And it's, it's nothing but, but building on wishes. 
It, it is a house of cards where a small wind of truth will blow the entire stack down. Because everyone seems to think that if he isn't, hasn't judged yet, he won't judge. You know, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes something that, that the justice system needs to take to heart. Because of the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is, not, is fully set to do evil. When sin is not punished, people are encouraged to do wrong. You think about why is there such a thing as, you know, what, what is the prison system designed to do when people talk about rehabilitation? And, and as if that's the only thing the prison system is designed to do. Two things the prison system is designed to do towards the criminal. Two things it's designed to do for us. For the criminal, rehabilitation is one of them, but punishment is also one of them, right? For society, uh, it, protection, because the person isn't out there anymore. And for society, the, the, the power of deterrent sentencing, right? Uh, Bethany, since she made fun of her father, <laughs> Bethany goes out and commits a crime that I really wanted to commit. I mean, I wanted to commit that crime way more than she did, but she beat me to it. And then she got arrested and went to jail for five years. I'm going, you know, I did want to commit that crime, <laughs> but I don't want to go to jail for five years. So it's deterrent. You know, deterrent, deterrent. Thank you for going to jail for my benefit, Bethany. <laughs> yeah, but you can't prove that. <laughs> With, with God, the whole, when we're talking about the justice he's talking about here, the, the whole uh, um, rehabilitation thing is not part of the picture. It's not part of the picture. Uh, it's too late for that. That time will be gone. It's, we need to get that message out now. But when judgment is slow, the sinner keeps sinning. That deterrent effect uh, is gone. It's lost on that. When justice demands the destruction of the earth, it's really final. It's really final. And, and there will be no chance for repentance after that. So God is being merciful and long-suffering that there is yet time for one more. Because we look at this world sometimes and we say, Lord, come quickly. Lord, do you not see how evil and corrupt this world is? Do you not see what people are doing? And we could write a whole nother book of Habakkuk, couldn't we? We could write a whole bunch more psalms saying, God, don't you know what they're doing over there? Don't you see your people suffering? And he says, I'm, I've got some more. I'm waiting for them. When that number is full, when that number is full, I will judge. And judgment will come. The martyrs were told to wait a while. A little while. They weren't told to wait forever. Peter, who told us God is patient, not wishing any, any, any to perish. The next thing he says after that in verse 10 is, is uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the worlds the, and the works that are done, it, done in it will be exposed. Since all these things ought, are to be disposed, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Judgment's coming. Isaiah. Isaiah is the longest of the prophetic books. 66 chapters in Isaiah. The last verse in Isaiah. The very last verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24.
How does this great book of prophecy, this is the book, that, the, the book that says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is the book that says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. This is the book that says, says uh, like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter, right? It ends with this. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Mark. In, in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus applied those words. Mark chapter 9. When I say Jesus applied them, we recognize Jesus talked about hell more than any other individual in Scripture. Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 48. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be, be better for him if a great millstone were hung about his neck and he were thrown from the sea are thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, it is better, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life with two feet than to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter kingdom, the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the, fi- where worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Matthew, Jesus said, uh, Matthew 25, 46, and these will go into way into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. In Luke, uh, Jeremy read the passage of Lazarus and the rich man, where the rich man is in agony in the fire, and he asked that Lazarus would just come and dip, dip his finger in the water and touch his tongue, and, and, and Abraham explains to him, there's no passing over between the two. There's no escape. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, Paul wrote, well, I'm, I'm hitting many of these just to make the point that this is not a fluke. This is not something that you're going to misunderstand or reinterpret. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the saints in Macedonia. I think I wanted... Yeah, I'm in the first Thessalonians. It wasn't reading right. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Part of God's perfection is that he's perfectly just. And his justice demands that he punish sin. And many do not see that justice now. And think that because we do not see that justice now, uh, it's not going to come. But the whole world is going to see it in that day. And in the meantime, we who believe God's word, we see it coming. There are some responses we should have. You know, I'll, I'll, I don't often preach hell. Hell isn't fun, but it's real. I remember preaching hell here, this church, this pulpit, years ago. Stand at the door like I do. And a couple met me after the, after the service at the door, and they were visibly angry. And they said, why do you keep preaching about hell? I'm going, I don't preach about hell that often, but I said, why do you keep preaching about hell? Don't you know nobody was ever saved by the preaching of hell? 
And the man standing behind him in line said, I was. He said, I was. Because not everybody, I wasn't saved by the preaching of hell either. I mean, come on, I'll, I'll be honest with that. Nobody said, Steve, you're going to go to hell if you, if you don't stop sinning. I said, oh, okay, I'll become a Christian. It, it didn't work that way for me. I wasn't scared into salvation. But sometimes that's how it works. Sometimes that's what it is. We should be patient, trusting God to work out justice. That's the one thing we should do. We should seek to bring others to the same mercy we have found. But we should pay close attention to what Peter said. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What sort of people ought you to be? If you, by any chance, have not come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, what should you do in light of the knowledge of hell? The answer is flee. Flee hell. Come to Christ. Interesting thing about Jesus, he wants to save you. He wants you to have eternal life. It's a gift he wants to give. We drove to North Idaho yesterday so we could give gifts. <laughs> it's like, so we were so excited. We get, to go to, we get to drive, you know, 85 miles so we can give $10 or $20 worth of birthday gifts. <laughs> you know, and uh, spent more on gas than we did on the gifts. <laughs> but it was fun because we got to give gifts to our grandkid, right? We, he, Jesus wants to give gifts to you. He wants to give you eternal life. If you have not come to him... Hell is real, and you will face that, or you can face a loving Christ who wants to forgive you and give you eternal life. Come to him. But, but then there's the rest of us, and there's a message in it for us, too. What sort of people ought we to be? This passage wasn't written to the sinners unsaved. It was written to believers. And he says, because this judgment is coming, what, person, what sort of person ought you to be? And we ought also to live lives that reflect the Jesus Christ we claim to, to serve. This, this world is a lost and a hopeless place. And we know, we know how it's going to end. Because we've got the book right here. I mean, we're in, the, we're in the book of the book, Revelation, that talks about the end. And we know how it's going to end. You know what? Christians are going to lose in this world. Uh, the world is going to win. The Antichrist is going to win victory over them. He will wage war against the saints and will prevail. That's a quote, Right? That's, that's what it says. We know how it's going to end, but here's what we do. We go down fighting, except we don't go down fighting with our fists. We go down loving and proclaiming Jesus Christ. When this world ends, for us, each one of us, we go down serving him. We live in a world that will increasingly reject him. Right? We live in a world that will increasingly reject him. But as this world is increasingly rejecting him, do you know what he is doing? He is still trying to save the world. So because we know the world is going to reject him and continue doing that, what should we be doing? <laughs> still trying to, to, to reach the world. I love, I'll just quote one thing, I'll read one thing out of Jude, the book of Jude.
But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles our Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Snatch them out of the fire. Wow. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you. For mercy. I thank you that we who deserved punishment found grace. Lord Jesus, I ask that more people find it, that we be your agents of grace, that as this, the time of this world is drawing to an end, that we will be busy saving people out of it, Father, that we will be doing your work and reaching people with the gospel. Lord, I ask you to make this gospel clear to us. I ask you to make it clear through us. Let us live in light of judgment. We pray in Jesus' name.